0: Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics.
1: Well, it kind of feels like this is the, I want to say the end of an era, but it's not the end of an era. It's just the end of divisional breakdowns. But before we even get started, James, do us all a favor. Tell us what's hot this week.
0: Well, uh... You know, we're seeing uh, some people come back from day-to-day injuries. I think that's really helping my fantasy team, but nobody really cares about that. So, um, <laughs> no, uh, I think, you know, they're, they're, it is a very typical week for baseball um, this time of the year. Um, a lot of people worried about the Yankees. I'm not, I, I, like I said on this podcast before, people who are switch hitters, people who are swing speed guys, they don't typically do well until the second half of the season or later on into the season. The Yankees are just chock full of swing speed guys, and then on top of that, they have Hicks, who's a switch hitter. So, um, not too worried. Uh, the Blue Jays are doing exactly like I thought they would, uh, performing you know exactly like I thought they. Would. I mean, there, there's a couple of guys on the team who are who are well exceeding my expectations for sure. But as a whole, they're they're doing exactly what I thought they would do. Um, the Royals have been great but it's very early on. And I don't think the twins have gotten going. They have a lot of bat speed guys. Um, They've also started the year in the national league. So Cruz hadn't really gotten going. And then Cruz was day to day for a minute. Buxton was day to day for a minute. Simmons currently has COVID. I think a lot of things have kind of uh, stalled the twins early on in the season. Um, Indians have looked interesting, but I I don't think that they were ever, you know, thought to be in competition for the division, but the white Sox, um, you know, quite a few players on them are bat speed guys, uh, quite a few players, Mancada's a switch hitter, you know, quite a few players on their team are either rookies or guys entering their second year. Um, and so it, it, it's one of those types of things where, you know, and the Eloy Jimenez is now hurt. So that hurts their lineup. But uh, I do expect the White Sox to continue to heat up. Mancada's heated up recently a little bit. Uh, Robert's slowly gathering himself like it seemed like it was a single almost every single game early on in the year. And now he's having a couple of big games. So he's starting to get his, his stuff together. Um, you know, Tim Anderson was hurt. Now Tim Anderson's back and he's doing a lot better than he did uh, before the injury. Um, so I, I do think the white Sox are, are, are going to be picking it up. Um, you know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I think the Royals are a fourth place team. Mm. Uh, I think that, you know, the Indians because they design their lineup lefty righty the way that Tampa Bay does but they do so with a lot more speed and because they have the pitching, the staff that they have bullpen rotation. um, I think it's going to be very difficult for the Royals over the course of a full year to succeed. I think a lot of their guys have also got up to to hot starts that are unsustainable. You know, Michael Taylor was probably the big one. Everybody's like, Oh, but Michael Taylor, he's going to be the next Lorenzo Cain. Lorenzo Cain started with a hit tool. Taylor's never had a hit tool just because you're looking at a guy who, you know, has, you know, and I'm sorry to say baseball, a lot of baseball fans, they, they, when they compare players, they look at visuals just because he is the same complexion and size as Lorenzo Kane does not mean that he is Lorenzo Kane. just because he's playing the same position and he's also fast does not mean that he's the fine tuned swing that Lorenzo Kane did uh, have as he developed as a hitter for Kansas city. He developed literally in front of the major league guys because he developed at the big league level, but, Taylor has been at the big league level for years. He's never knocked down that strikeout rate. So uh, the Royals definitely doing well right now, but it's early. Um, you know, I think uh, the Astros are making adjustments so that they can try and remain a very good team. But I, I, I don't think that they have pitching to do it. I don't think those adjustments will hold up over a full year. Um, you know, they deserve any sort of bad luck that's coming to them. You know, this will just get, get 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 that little Astros moment out of the way for our podcast, Chris. It, it just doesn't end. <laughs> Never will. Never will. Um, so uh, <laughs> um, oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, the the Mets have had a couple of injuries. You know, with with Carrasco, he needs to come back. When Carrasco and Syndergaard come back, and you know, as we move on in the season, and and you know, Lindor's a switch hitter um and you know uh, alonso's got ridiculous bat speed um same thing with conforto but conforto's actually been historically a first half guy what's interesting about conforto though is because when look if when you if when you see a guy who's like conforto patient bat right first half guy typically they know that they're historically a first half guy and they have the physicality to hold up over a full season So while they are in their prime, they can turn that first half into being more of a second half player by just holding their own on a level that they held in the off season uh, for the first half and then really push pushing at the second half and then being really in, in season shape for the second half. And that's, you know, when they have those types of years, Gardner did that, I think two, three years ago. Uh, He, you know, he's, he's historically a first half guy. So um, I think that we could see a flip for Conforto this year because uh, I do think he's got pretty, pretty good bat speed for a lefty, at least for a patient lefty. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, I think that that's a team that as, as they make adjustments and people get healthy as the season goes on, they'll, they'll definitely do better. Um, they don't have very many holes. So any sort of trades at the trade deadline are really going to impact the team. On, on a real level because it's not like they're stra- they'll be straining to to put people in the right spots. Um, the Braves have signed, yeah. Look, the Braves they brought in uh, Pablo Sandoval, okay, during like like way late in the off season, right? They brought in Ender and Cr. Well, I won't say they brought in. They, they brought him in a, years ago, okay. But they they kept him. They kept Ender and Cr. Take despite all all the guys that they had in organization, okay. They went out. They got Orlando Arcia. Right? They have Shay Langliers and William Contreras, which is Wilson Contreras' younger brother, uh, in the high minors for them, uh, just in case something goes wrong with Travis Darno, who's now having a really rough start to the season. You know, I really was hoping that he had turned the corner, given that he's usually healthy for about 90, 100 games. Um, but it's starting to look like he's a hot and cold player. Who has trouble staying healthy for a hundred games? It's not even like he turned a corner and now he's a good hitter. You know, he's just hot and cold. When he's hot, he's awesome. But like, if you're hot and cold and you're injury prone, like my dude, you're probably best used as a backup catcher or a DH or first baseman, something that'll keep you healthier, like just something to mitigate this. Um, and it's likely that by the end of the season, Shea Lang- Langliers, Langiers, Langiers, probably think- Langiers, right? Um, yeah. I don't want to, I, I would, I probably completely am butchering it, but it's very good. I catch. have
1: heard Langiers. I, yeah, I have. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Uh, he, he's a, he's, he's a guy who's got power. He's a, he was a college bat. He's got the defense for the position. Um, so I don't really necessarily doubt that he could hold his own, especially, you know, with the league, not knowing him, it helps having lineup protection, but it's also a position where you don't really need to hit that much. Um, if you're doing the defensive you know, skills. Um, It's just interesting to me looking at the Braves because like, why, why go get Arcea, you know, but, you know, why do that? He's a, he's a guy who should be playing every day. Uh, uh, You know, do you have a trade lined up for one of your infielders? Um, You know, how are you going to get him enough playing time? I mean, a lot of questions that are concerning, but also looking at the other side, like this team has so much depth, so much depth Arcea should play every day with the way that Sandoval's hitting, you know, I wouldn't mind playing him against righties, which is almost every day. Um, you need to get Riley though at bats because Riley needs to develop. You need, he's, he's big league ready. He dropped the strikeout rate a lot last year with his bat speed, probably a better a bit better in the second half. Once he's gotten like 200 at bats under, under his belt, but I, I don't know how you're going to get all those at bats. Maybe you move him around or something, but the Braves are going to have to figure that out on their own. Inciarte has been fantastic. No power, which was kind of expected, but good batting average, good on base percentage. And, you know, he's one of the best defenders in in the entire sport. So the Braves are evolving. Max Fried went on the DL. I don't know if he's off, but I know Smiley came off the DL. So Smiley's back for them. They put Kyle right in the rotation last time I checked, who's another prospect who was trying to figure out a couple things for them. So I'm not super worried about, you know, any of their rotation concerns right now although that could develop over a full season so that's worth monitoring um but yeah so the Braves are looking all right uh Cardinals started very hot and then predictably got very cold they're not a first half team i've said this year before they're going to make their push in the second half um Cubs have been awful but if you're looking at their team position to position like Brian's a bat speed guy, even though he's been pretty decent as the season started, he's going to be more of a second half guy. Uh, Rizzo's a very patient hitter. Um, he's going to be about as, as good as he can be, but he's also been in a very subtle decline the last few years. It's very hard to observe. Um, you have to be looking at the right things in order to see it. Uh, he's still going to walk, still going to hit for doubles power, and probably late in the season, you know, he'll be his old self for a couple of months. Um, but he's got to have a lot of at-bats under, under his belt to get to that point. Uh, Horner has not proved himself at the big league level. Baez is going through his uh, approach adjustment phase of his career where he's going from being aggressive and being successful with you know almost a too aggressive approach, and now it is a too aggressive approach, so he has to dial the swing in, start to swing only at strikes and pitches around the zone, start to differentiate a little bit better. I mean, it's not like he couldn't before. It's just that approach worked for him. So now he's going through the transition. Mancata, same deal. Sanchez, same deal. Come out the other side. They're going to produce outstanding numbers. But um, right now, especially early in the season, when you're going through that transition, it's going to be a little rough. Um, Contreras is doing good. Uh, so that's good to see as well. Um, he seems like a guy to me that should be fairly consistent, though. But, you know, if you're looking at V-swing guy like Hayward, he who's bigger on the bigger side, He's gonna be more coordinated and more able to hit the ball properly when the second half comes around. You look at Ian Happ. Ian Happ is a switch hitter. You look at Jock Peterson, who adjusts his swing like five times every single year, and who has never played against righties and lefties. Now he's playing against righties and lefties. Um, you know that's a big adjustment for him. So now we have almost everyone in the Cubs lineup not hitting. So that's why they've been terrible. But they'll come around. Um, Padres have been super exciting um Dodgers have been the Dodgers typical Dodgers but I, you know, I love to see how exciting the Padres have been that, that that's been really fun to watch I mean watching Mateo on that team you know knowing his speed like even if he's not hitting a lot or regularly just knowing that like at some point in the lineup when you get to the weaker hitters he's going to come up knowing what he can do on the bases I and mean, he's not the smartest guy in terms of baseball IQ uh, that's at least what the scouts say uh, but he might be the fastest guy. I mean, like he, you know, I watched this guy when he was in the minor leagues, Billy Hamilton. At one point he ran, I think it was 14 seconds around the bases, something along those lines and um, may have been like 15 seconds around the bases. And Billy Hamilton was a lefty doing that. He's a switch hitter, you know, but that specific, you know, inside the park home run that he ran, that was like that fast. Um, he was running as a lefty. Mateo's a righty. He doesn't have the ability to switch hit. He 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 doesn't have that extra couple steps from being in that batter's box. And I've seen him beat Hamilton around the bases for an inside the park homer. It, that's insane speed. If you make Billy Hamilton like look clearly slower than you, that that's Billy Hamilton. You know. So uh, no, the, the 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 Padres have been super fun to watch. And knowing that you know Tatis is now. Not out for the year. Um, uh, I compared his injury to Jeter's injury. I think it was back in 2003, 2005, right. one of those. Um, he, he missed like a, you know, a few games. He ended up playing 119 that season. He actually dislocated his shoulder completely, I believe, on a, a slide into third base. I believe it was in Toronto. I think it was opening day. Uh, <laughs> my memory, you know, I hope I'm right. You know, if I am right, then goodness gracious, my memory, right? But <laughs> like, um, Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, they got, but they got Machado, they got Hosmer, they got Myers. They they got a good team. Padres got a good team. Um, very exciting team. Um, so I guess that's my, my, my updates, you know, just around the league, just a quick little, uh, picture about things, you know, outside of that, everybody's kind of performed normally. Uh, the nationals have gotten hurt, been hit by COVID at the same time. Um, They've had some like really, you know, rough performances by people coming back. Like, I don't think the Nationals have showed who they are, but the thing is, because Scherzer is on a one-year deal, you know, if they if they get too far out of the race in, in the National League East, the hardest division in baseball, you know, I've seen you know rumors that they'd want to trade him. Um, I mean, I don't think they're gonna be able to resign him after the year, so I understand that, but then they're really at a disadvantage for the playoff picture. Excuse me. Um, so I think that, um, yeah, no, I think that uh, the nationals definitely need to be watched over the next couple of weeks because if they don't start putting things together, um, yeah, Scherzer could be marketed very reasonably be marketed. Um, but a lot of the players on the nationals have, have done really well. They um, kind of overachieved expectations like Josh Harrison uh, Jan Gomes. Um, if you see like Starling Castro heat up and Turner keeps doing his thing. Soto comes back from his injury. And then, you know, Bell, he's a switch hitter. He's been terrible, but he's also always been hot and cold. And when he heats up, he's really, really good. So later on in the season, that should help them out. Maybe Kyle Schwarber keeps making uh, adjustments. He needs to start learning to clear his front leg. Uh, a lot of his power is from his midsection. And if he doesn't clear his front leg, he's he's going to completely limit himself to the strength that he has, like in the lower parts of his leg and in his hips. And I think he closes himself off. I think it stops him from being able to rotate on certain balls. Uh, I think if he if he learns how to work his front leg properly with hitting, uh, get the timing down with it. I don't think there's very much he can't do in the box. But you know, once again, I don't know why this guy, you know, still wants to play the outfield as badly as he does. I think he should be a DH. I think he should focus on that. And if not, he should be a first baseman. And I don't think there's really any sort of justification for keeping him in the outfield. It's going to keep him, you know, working on being fleet of foot instead of sure of, you know, planting, you know, sure of sure of, uh, foot strike, if you will. Um, from what I see at the plate, he's doing too much. He's moving way too much now. And the process needs to be simplified if it's going to ever be effective uh, at the levels that it could be at the big league level. But he's got such amazing hitting talent that I just, I think it can come together. I, I, it's just hard to imagine why a team would look at him and be like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep him working on the skills that will make him a bad hitter and like a mediocre defender. then you have a very average player or sometimes possibly even below average. I just don't, I don't get it. I'd put him at first base or DH and leave him there. Um, He probably just doesn't want to do that. Probably likes playing the outfield too much. I mean, he, he has gotten a lot better at playing it, but that doesn't say much. He was one of the worst, if not the worst right there with like Nick Castellanos, right. Uh, And now he's slightly below average to below average. And that's a big leap. But do I think that like now he's going to go from there to being one of the best defenders in the league that justifies him being like a 15% above league average hitter? No, that's not going to happen. You're not going to make Kyle Schwarber a speedster. Like that's, (laughs) that's not, that's (laughs) no. (laughs) And I think you're destroying his body type by uh the longer you keep him out there the longer you get him away from working on hitting so uh that's my two cents but anyway uh let's jump into our last divisional breakdown i'm down let's do it let us
1: do it so you said for this final divisional breakdown we are doing both the west yep the west what team do you want to start with before i reveal the al
0: west okay So, you know, last time we had to bring up, you know, the Astros and, you know, trash on, on, on the trash throws, you know, just, you know, rag on them again, you know, so we're on to a team that I think is finally going to get ahead of them and, 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 and should have gotten ahead of them for, for quite a few years Um, because you know, well, they, they don't cheat. Um, No, but no, really though. The reason why they should have gotten ahead of them is because they have Mike Trout and point blank. Mike Trout needs to be in the playoffs. I don't care about you, Seattle Mariners. Sorry, you guys can take a break from the playoffs. I don't care about you, Rangers. Take a break from the playoffs. You don't have a, a historical talent. Uh, Astros can take a break forever. Um, you know, Oakland, you know, your money bowl thing. You, that was fun while it lasted. You know, now let Trout into the playoffs. That's not how it works, of course. But um, no, I mean, Trout is like the greatest player I've ever seen um, you know era dependent you know he's probably the best player of all time um you take another player out of a different era you put them into our era they're not going to do nearly as well so um no i i just think it's a crime that we haven't seen trout in the playoffs um so now we have the angels you know looking like the team to win the division this year um so far um you know we are a little bit of ways into the season uh not really a, a little bit of ways we're like what three weeks that's like still next to nothing, um, but the, the angels pitching has performed just as I thought it would. Canning has been very good. Heaney has been very good. otani has been Otani. Bundy's Bundy. Like they, they do have a good staff, not a great staff, but a good staff. And that's what they've been looking for, for, for years on it. They've been looking for a staff that could allow their amazing offense to compete. Now I've not thought of their angels. The angels offense is that amazing personally because yes it's got trout it's got a few other big guys but it was always a half of an offense well this year they don't have half of an offense anymore it's actually a very well-rounded team if you break it out you know um yes buttry retired so they do have some need in the bullpen the bullpen is one of the easiest positions to build on the fly Uh, and plus you know late in the season you know if you have uh, guys who come up and, you know, end up adding on to your rotation. You can always bump the worst in the rotation to the bullpen. And I think that that works specifically for the Angels because they have like a bunch of starters, okay? They have Bundy, they have Otani, they have Canning, they have Cobb, they have Heaney, they have Quintana, that's six. I feel like I'm I'm missing out on one. I think they... Well, I mean, Sandoval, but I don't really like him too much. So I I really view him more as a a pen guy. But those are six guys. But more specifically, I want to bring the attention to Quintana, who's a two-pitch starter. His whole career, he's been a two-pitch starter. And when you go to the bullpen, your fastball velocity can increase. And the reason why Quintana stopped being an ace was his fastball velocity dropped. And as a two-pitch pitcher who's really dependent on the differential between his fastball and, I believe, his changeup, he his changeup lost effectiveness he stopped being a good pitcher you put him in the bullpen especially as a starter who's used to going full games he can go two innings at a time he can increase his velocity you know for short you know short periods and that creates the difference that you need for the uh, changeup to be effective so now he's performing as an ace for you in your bullpen for multiple innings um I think that this is a strategy that not a lot of teams do enough taking guys who are starters that are near the end, putting them in the bullpen and giving them a chance to rewrite the end of their career. We used to do it. Big league teams used to do it. John Smoltz. Remember that, right? That that's how things used to be done. If you couldn't stay as a, a, a plus starter, move you to the bullpen, see how that works. And sometimes it worked really well. I think, you know, we talk about great pitchers for, for different eras, King Felix, Felix Hernandez, has been one of the best pitchers. Well, not not, not recently, but when he was. He was good for like 10 years, 12 years, something like that. Just dominant. ERAs in the twos, tons of strikeouts, lots of weak contact, you know. Um, Didn't walk people. And um, I think that's really the the main thing. He pitched a lot of innings, low ERA, didn't walk people, lots of weak contact. Because he did have a period of time where he struck guys out, but once he realized that he didn't have to strike guys out to get guys out, Uh, I think, you know, he went on just no walks, lots of weak contact, lots of innings. Um, But then his fastball velocity faded because he threw so many innings at such a young age. I think if you put Felix Hernandez in the bullpen, you're like, yo, be a setup man. If you do well enough, you're a closer. He could be the next John Smoltz. I think he could absolutely up the fastball velocity enough to have like, what, four more good years out of the pen. I mean, if he was like, if you're thinking about him and being like, Oh, he's borderline hall of fame, that makes him hall of fame. If you're a closer for like three out of four years for the end of your career uh, and a reliever for the end, four years. And those years you have an ERA of like two, you know, 2.5, 3.2 and 3.6, you know, decline. Sure. But you know, with his career, add that onto it he's a hall of famer there's no doubt but you know teams don't really like to think about things this way i don't know why um brett anderson would make another great pick for the bullpen um edinson volquez if you introduce him to the bullpen in the right way you can't put him in high leverage situations you can't put him in multi-inning situations you got to bring him in when nobody's on base and you have a lead and you just pitch him one inning and then once he gets his confidence and he's you know really on a roll with those one inning appearances then you bring him in maybe with a guy on first base and see how he does, you know, but you start no pressure where he can just, you know, stuff a guy to death, you know, breaking ball, fastball, and all that. And he's always had a lot of movement. And I felt like he, he's a picture-perfect reliever. Uh, but teams aren't really thinking about things this way. So anyway, to jump back to the Angels, um, you know, they do need to fix up the bullpen a little bit, but Quintana, I think will help. I think a guy like Patrick Sandoval can definitely help that's the starter that i was forgetting if reed detmers ends up coming up at the end of the season which people have said you know he's he's near big league ready you know he came out of the draft near big league ready um that could bump even alex cobb to the bullpen so then you have another guy joining the bullpen who you know is a former starter who's starting to tail off because the stuff well in the bullpen ramping things up it, it, it you know it's back so Um, And then also it's worth mentioning that Alex Cobb's underlying statistics are actually really, really good. So it may, it might not be Alex Cobb. It might not end up being him. Maybe, you know, Otani reaches his innings limit and you want to keep him fresh for the playoffs. So you move Otani to the bullpen for the end of the season. And then, you know, in the playoffs, you move him back to the rotation and and he's fresh, you know, and that, that can get you to finish the season strong with the bullpen and still have enough guys giving you a chance to win every single day that you get your wins off that offense. Point is, is that there's ways of navigating this. There's ways of getting guys at the deadline, moving players around based on their roster, promoting guys. Um, now there is a little bit, you know, that has to depend on, you know, hopefully Reed Detmers is ready. But if he isn't, you you trade for a guy. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, you know, Quintana can do great in the playoffs. I actually think it's that's looking at the facts of the matter. He he can do better in the bullpen. But uh, with Cobb. That's more up in the air. Can Cobb be a good reliever? Um, will Otani be able to last the season? You know, So there, there are concerns, right? Um, but when you look at the other teams in the division, the other teams have many more concerns. Or if they don't have specific holes in their roster, they don't have specific strengths. Like I say specifically with Oakland, Like, their strength is that they have a really good rotation. But everything else is very plain. Can't, you know, like, okay, so you have a really good rotation, you know? Um, So, you know, whereas this team, they have an elite defense. They have elite lineup balance in terms of approaches and uh, strengths. Uh, they have a, a, a rotation that leaks into the bullpen and can upgrade the bullpen. Um, the roles that in the bullpen are being upgraded aren't the same roles that you would be targeting for a trade at the trade deadline, meaning whichever guy you do get at the deadline fits into their role perfectly. Meaning like most of the guys who go multiple innings aren't going to really be your fireman. They're going to be a guy that you use for multiple innings, like to bridge gaps between you and the setup man or you and the closer or, you know, things like that, right? You you don't want to use a guy who can go multiple innings to put out a fire in one, like one inning. Um, that's a waste of a talent because you don't know the next day you might, you know, have the starting pitcher get out of the game in sixth inning and you need that two innings right there, you know? So fireman slots in, you know, when, when, the, when the fire needs to be put out, game on the line, runner on second, tie game, whatever. That's when you bring in your fireman. So that's going to really boost their bullpen as well. Um, and then they have, um, you know, that amazing offense, starting with Trout. Now, I do really want to start by addressing this offense. So I, we, we've mainly been talking about why I'm confident in their pitching. They got, like, Tony Watson back there. They got, I believe, Steve Steve Sheck as well back in the bullpen. Uh, yeah, they have him. Um, they, they, they have um, – Uh, a couple of other guys. Uh, Oh, that's right. Iglesias, Iglesias. They have a closer and Myers also had an incredible year last season. So he might be, you know, an elite reliever in his own right. So they do have something to build around bullpen wise as well. Um, But let's move on very quickly from uh, their, 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 their rotation and, and pitching staff, because I'll be real with you. Like I could keep talking about that all day given how much of an issue it was in the past for them and how big it is for them right now. Well, I won't say big, because it's it's not really a, a massive strength, but it's clearly something that is a plus. It's clearly something that can be worked with. It's clearly something that if you make one move or two moves, you're able to compete with anyone else, given the makeup of the rest of your team. And that's been such an issue for the angels for so long that I could actually talk about, you know, the ways they've upgraded individually from previous years, the way Heaney's gotten better, the way that Canning's gotten better, what's happened with Dylan Bundy and how he's not the same guy he was with Baltimore. But we need to talk about this offense. This is the, 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 the big part of their, this is, this is the strength of the team, so to speak, the position player group, okay? They have Kurt Suzuki, so they finally have a reliable offensive catcher. He's also one of the most intelligent catchers in the game. He created the plan. I think we've talked about this before. He created the plan that actually defeated the Astros cheating scandal in the 2019 world series. So he he's on another level. He's outthinking you, he's two steps ahead of you. If you, he's like, Oh, well, we're calling, you know, we're putting down the sign for a slider here. Right. So they're going to say that a slider's coming. So let's reverse it. So, you know, it's a fastball. And then the next time we're going to make it seem like we've, reversed it again but it's the same but they're going to think this so imagine like the second at bat the third at bat trying to stay ahead of these hitters who know what the normal pitch is coming he was able to develop a system that outthunk the Astros hitters like that's some 2000 3000 IQ light eyes light up you know internet stuff you know what i mean like so big props to kurt suzuki he's now the angels catcher they have max stasi who um, I believe he also was on the Astros recently. So maybe he's going to be able to give away some some extra secrets on how to beat the Astros if they continue their cheating ways uh, in, in that division against them. It just can't be, uh, you know, oh, I'm serious. It can't be a, a coincidence that they have Max Stasi as the backup catcher, former Astro, and Kurt Suzuki, the guy who defeated the Astros, at catcher, a position that's so key with winning with, with, with calling pitches, with conducting, you know, okay, well, if, if this happens and this pitch is, is thrown and we get a ground ball, we're going to specifically get a ground ball from this pitcher this way in the infield. So we're going to have the infield now shift that way. Like, there's no way that having this combination of catchers has nothing to do with the Astros. I think this is just to make sure that they stay not cheating, you know, because you have a guy from the team from those years in Stasi. And you have a guy like Kurt Suzuki who defeated them and that's your combination. So I, that's cool. And I just think that that should be noted. Um, getting to the, the infield. Now, Kurt Suzuki, like we said, he's a very smart catcher. So they should have good defense at catcher, even if it's not the greatest at throwing runners out. Kurt Suzuki's not the greatest at that. Um, at first base, Pujols is there. He started hot. Um, I think he knows that this is kind of the end and he's fighting for his spot right now. He has a bunch of lineup protection. So I do understand why he's have, having success on balls in play and why he's walking as much as he is. I do not think it's sustainable. Old man Pujols is like maybe 45 years old, something like that. Um, there's rumors that he lied about his age, but like no one really cares because he's the machine. You know, he's a Hall of Famer. He might be the best first baseman of all time who cares about the fact that you might be two years older than you are if you put up those numbers at the big leagues. So, uh, you know, hat tip to Pools. Um, but I fully, I fully expect that he's going to be in a platoon later in the year when he starts cooling off with Jared Walsh. The league doesn't really know Walsh that well. Walsh, when the league does get to know him is not going to be able to do what he's able to do right now, but right now he's hitting for a pretty decent level of home run power lefty. It's going to work well in a platoon with pools. Um, also it's going to work well defensively. I think that's another thing that's worth noting. Uh, he should be a pretty defensive option at first base. Uh, talking about things defensively across the infield. They have David Fletcher, Jose Iglesias and Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon's a well above average defensive third baseman. Uh, There's no doubt about that. He's not elite, but he's well above average. Uh, You have Jose Iglesias, who's an elite shortstop. You have Fletcher, who's an elite second baseman. I think that combination double play wise is the best in baseball. I think that's the shortstop second base defensive combination there. Yeah. Best in MLB. Um, excuse me (laughs) a lot of burps today goodness um (laughs) uh fletcher and glacius though they're they're mainly singles hitters these are not guys that are gonna you know particularly hit the ball out a lot they're gonna spray the ball around the field they're gonna bat above 280 uh maybe bat above 300 we'll see you know um as the rest of the team starts to heat up the year goes on we'll see as they start getting better pitches to hit how good they'll end up hitting um I see them both as mainly like doubles hitters, singles hitters, um, but guys who can get those hits at a high frequency, which moves the action along, especially helps if you have a faster team, Um, which it doesn't look like the Angels have a faster team. They actually do. Walsh is well above average uh, foot speed for a first baseman. Um, Fletcher is a very fast player, first to third type. Um, Iglesias also is a first to third type. You don't have to steal bases to be considered a fast player. If you're a first or third guy and you're able to put up a high BSR, then that's putting up base running value for me. Now you have to, of course, weigh how much they are getting on base against their BSR value. Cause there are guys who don't get on base very much with insane BSRs, where if you can find ways to get them to get on base more, like imagine how good their BSRs would get, but Nonetheless, you're looking at a team, Rendon, he typically runs very high BSRs, very intelligent base runner, very first to third, tag ups. He he does all that he has to do. Trout, Upton. Upton, by the way, has higher BSRs than most people expect on a year-to-year basis because he's a bigger guy and he's not a great defender, but he's actually really fast on the bases. It's just not, you know, first step speed. It's fifth step speed. (laughs) It's a first to third, second to home type thing. Um, and then, of course, you know Joe Adele, Brandon Marsh, people who are going to come up and end up taking at bats from the injured uh, Dexter Fowler. He's out now, like basically for the whole year. Both of them are extraordinarily fast players as well. So you're looking at a very fast roster. So Iglesias and Fletcher, the singles that they hit, the team's going to be able to maximize. It's going to be lots of um, small ball, sure. But it's not like this team's not capable of big ball. And that's where it gets interesting. Rendon's one of the best hitters in the game. He's a 300, 400, 500 hitter. Batting average on base percentage slugging. You know, typically 30, 40% above league average per WRC plus. Um, you know, great BSRs on a year-to-year basis. So across the board, there's nothing that he really does wrong at the plate. So he's true middle of the order. Otani is about as true middle of the order as you get for a lefty in a shift era. You know, ridiculous power walks, can run the bases like a madman, probably going to bat about 275, 280, but that's because of the shift. Without the shift, that's 310, okay? So, you know, you're looking at Otani as like a real force there, too, because he's getting on base. He's hitting for power. He's getting on base from hits. He's running the bases. Um, And, you know, I think he's going to be great first to third guy on the bases, but I do think that that power level, people aren't really even fully awoken to how much power the guy has. Like, full season of at-bats, I could see Otani hitting like 45 homers, like actually, which is like when you look at the rest of his skills, you know, okay. So he's going to bat 285. He's going to, you know, walk enough that he's going to have like a 13, 12, 12, 13% walk rate, right. He's going to hit 45 home runs. He's going to then be getting on base somewhere around like a 390 clip, 380 clip. That's Otani's amazing. Point is Otani. We could be talking about Otani all day. You know, I say Trout's going to put up the most value for you in baseball. He's the best player in baseball. But the person in baseball who's doing the hardest skill is Otani because he's an ace pitcher, lefty throwing as hard as he does, who can run the bases like he can and who can hit like he can. No one else in baseball is doing that skill set and hasn't for like, what, 100 years. Like, so yeah, that's Otani. Uh, but then they also have, um, you know, when, when Upton's hot, he's a very hot and cold player. He's about as good as any sort of middle of the order hitter. And then there's, there's Trout. So you're looking at a team that is very powerful, but you're also looking at a team that's going to put a lot of balls in play. And you're also looking at a team that's going to run a lot. And they're just going to get hotter as the year goes on. Because Kurt Suzuki is that type of guy where he needs lineup protection to hit for homer power. And Trout's a guy where as the season goes on, he just gets better and better and better. That's just who he is. But more specifically, when Upton's going through a period of time where he's not hitting, he's an auto out. So once he joins the fray, if you will, and the prospects in right field end up contributing, I think you're looking at a one through nine lineup. I think, you know, you're going to start seeing more power hit for from Kurt Suzuki, from Jose Iglesias, from David Fletcher. I think that, you know, Trout's, Trout's never been in a situation where he's going to see as many pitches to hit as he's going to in this situation. Um, so does the team have, you know, lefty bats, you know? Yes. You know, uh, it depends on if they want to go with Marsh or not in left field but, or right field, but they do have Otani. Okay. And you don't want to go with too many lefties in this era. Cause you also have Walsh who's going to be platooning. You don't want to be going with too many more than two or three because the shift era, too many double plays. Um, but you need enough to diversify things. So they have that going for them. They have the lefties going for them. They have patient hitters going for them. They have hot and cold hitters going for them. They've singles hitters going for them. They have home run hitters going for them. So they first, the first to third base running, they have stolen base guys too. They have rookies. They have guys at the end of their career. They've guys in the middle of their career. They've guys at the end of their prime, trying to just get a championship up then you know, um, it's the most perfectly balanced lineup like for, for just this season once everything's clicking because everybody has their own reason to have a chip on their shoulder and perform. So that's the Angels. Uh, and I, I think that if I'm going to bring up anything else about this team, because we do got to really cover our last team because we're starting to go a little too long here. Um, I think I got to bring up that Luis Renhifo was rushed through the minors he can play basically every single position. He's a switch hitter. As the year goes on, like I've said, switch hitters heat heat up. If he can get both swings in order, he's a guy who can hit like 15 home runs and steal 30 bases for you. Like he actually has that type of ability. Now, can he hit for a pretty high batting average? I don't think he's going to hit for more than like 250. But as a guy who can play a lot of different positions, who will walk and hit for pull power, and who, when he does get on base, is capable of stealing, even if he gets caught sometimes. Um, I think it's a very ba- valuable super utility player if anyone does go down with an injury. And I think that's something else that needs to be talked about, which is depth. If you have depth in a lineup like the Angels have now, which is also something that that, that's been lacking from them for quite a few years, you can operate from a much higher place. Um, all right, so now, last team on our, our, our rankings. This is it. And then, uh, you know, I guess in the future we're going to be doing, didn't we, didn't we talk about this? We're going to be doing power rankings. Yeah. Ones.
1: We already talked. To- yeah, we talked about that. We're gonna be doing power rankings following up this video. I mean, yeah. video, well, video and podcast. Um, so you can expect to see power rankings starting next week, as yeah. soon as next week, maybe, maybe even this Thursday for the live stream.
0: Oh man. That'd be fun. I'm down. You know what? <laughs> yeah. I'll have it ready for that. You'll see us there. We'll talk about it there. Uh, how things have changed. Who's gotten hurt. Why things are different. Like, That's interesting. I'll, I'll give a little spoiler. What one little, one little thing. It's not going to give away anything. It's that the Rays have impressed me enough where I don't think the Red Sox are in second anymore. I think the Red Sox are going to be in third. Mm. But also the Red Sox have impressed me enough. The Blue Jays have shown me that I was right. You know, as if there was any doubt in my mind about that that I think it's very clear that there's going to be a separation between the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, Mm -hmm. like a win separation. And then there's going to be a a much bigger separation between the Blue Jays and the Orioles, mind you. But uh, I think that – I think the Rays are still right there. I think that they're still as relevant, at least right now, um, because they can kind of platoon across the roster if if they really have to later on in the season and at all the positions that they need to. And at all the positions where they don't have the platoon, it's looking like they're getting production. So they're looking just as dangerous as they looked last year for basically the same reasons. But the Red Sox look innumerably better. And the Blue Jays look, just like I've said, like the most overrated team in Major League Baseball. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Fourth place, deal with it. I- I'm sorry. I... I-, 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 I- no chill, no chill. Deal with it. Fourth place. I've gotten a lot of uh, critique about like, oh, but look at their offense. I have, like, what do they have? They have four guys. Mm-hmm. That's half a lineup. So, but you know, that is. We'll talk about that on our live stream. We'll grill the Blue Jays on our live stream. So it's gonna be fun. Yeah no hey if you want to tell me I'm lo- I'm I'm completely wrong about that join us there then mm-hmm. bet you know <laughs> <laughs> all right so um well yeah no and I think this is pretty obvious what team do you think is going to win the National League West I mean look okay we, we, based on who we talked about last week you know maybe it's not so obvious but like you know if you watched our la- our, our our last one right our our last um our last uh, uh, fourth place video or mm, second place video. Yeah. Our second place video for, for the West's um, the national league West, actually their second place team can compete for the division, but like we, like the Dodgers are the most obnoxious team. Like no one can leave them off. Like you, I, I would be shocked if, if, if anyone watching this thought that we were going to leave off ranking the Dodgers. Like, like we'd forget about them, you know, the Dodgers are like the Yankees used to be the prima donna team, you know, now it's very much the Dodgers, you know, it's just a bunch of pretty boys, you know, it's like, you know, LA kids, you know, I, I don't really like that kind of thing. You know, it's just, it's not my, not my style, but anyway, um, you know, the Dodgers won the world series like a, a year ago. Okay. Um. They won it with the only roster that they've compiled in recent years that I've really fully approved of. Usually they are lacking in one form or another form with regards to the way they put together their roster. And such is the case again this year. Um, Instead of saying, hey, we won the World Series last year, let's go out and... um, you know, get some guys who are really big game players and let's try and build on that success and win another World Series this year. Instead, they basically went out and said, okay, how can we build a team that's going to do well during the regular season, but when they're in the playoffs, all of the pitchers are going to be in trouble. How can we do that? Like, it's almost as if they actually went through that process because here's the deal, okay? Let's just say the Dodgers make it through the playoffs. They make it through the National League, okay? Because the Dodgers, you know, the, the, somehow they, they, they beat the Padres, okay? And they whoop the rest of the National League, okay? Just because, the, you know, maybe they're on another level. Some people believe that, you know? And they get to the World Series, okay? So, first and foremost, Tony Gonsolin's not going to be in the rotation at that point in time, either because they finally determined that he's a reliever. He's gotten hurt or, um, you know, he's through so many innings during the season that you have to confine him. You know, like if you're, if you're putting him out there after going that far above his innings limit during the regular season, you're risking injury. So Gonsolin wouldn't be out there in the rotation. Same thing for Dustin May, same thing for uh, Urias, you know? So what you're setting up is a situation where, The only players that you can put as your playoff rotation, like maybe you put Urias because he's still growing and he's so good and he was great for you in the last playoff. Maybe he's your four starter. Okay. But you're still setting yourself up for a World Series where Kershaw's in the rotation and David Price is in the rotation. That's like basically like if you have an elite team you're going up against, that is. That's like giving away two victories and then hoping a guy who's pitched too many innings during a regular season, who's a lefty in an era of power hitting righties, you know, is still fresh enough to go your fourth game. I don't think that they can get to the World Series, let alone win the World Series with that group, with that group. I think that there are teams like the Padres that are much better set up to beat the best hitters in the game. Like I think Joe Musgrove gives you a much more competitive game in the playoffs than either price or Kershaw and like no disrespect to Kershaw. Like my guy, he might be like the best pitcher of our entire era, but it's during the regular season against below average hitters, average hitters, um, slightly above average hitters and like lineups that have bad tendencies. But when you get to the playoffs, you have well-rounded lineups, you have balanced lineups, you have elite hitters. So you can't just pitch to a scouting report, which, mind you, is something that Bauer does. So, um, and that's, that's another guy I forgot. So yeah, so Bauer, so maybe Urias wouldn't be in the rotation. Maybe it would be Price out of the rotation. But that's the other thing. Bauer does the same deal. Bauer pitches to scouting reports, which is why whenever Bauer gets lit up, it's always when he's pitching to a scouting report and the hitter adjusts because Bauer is not capable of adjusting back to a hitter who adjusts to him pitching to their scouting report because Bauer doesn't understand how hitters adjust in those situations. Thankfully I do. I was a hitter. I study these situations. I study how hitters, different types of hitters do adapt and how different hitters can adapt. And at what point of their development they are in so that we know which way they lean. Like it, it, it's all very fine because you have to understand A lot of these at bats, you're asking things of yourself and different approaches allows you to give those things. You'll say, I'm going to ask myself to lay out and, and catch a ball. Well, if I've never done that before, I'm not going to be able to do it. You know what I mean? So if you're someone with a certain approach, you're doing it all the time, and then you're asking yourself to become more aggressive. What do you think is going to be more effective? Being aggressive from a patient approach or being aggressive from an aggressive approach? So anyway, we could talk about, you know, breaking down uh, approach and, and, and fundamentals and player evaluation. And, you know, maybe we can get, um, you know, uh, John on, on, on a future podcast. That would, we could talk about that with him. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. That'd be so, dope. Yeah, it would be dope. Um, so anyway, let's jump back in um, for the Dodgers. Kenley Jansen has looked great this year. He looks like his velocity is back. Um, he's very much like a, a, a two-pitch pitcher cutter guy um i could see him last a while but the only cutter guy that i've known who's really good in big moments has been mariano um from what i've seen most other cutter guys because you're throwing a pitch the batter knows it's coming batters are able to adjust somehow it doesn't have, it's not like a, a world beating cutter kenley jansen is a cutter where he's made his entire career off of it you know he started in 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 professional baseball i believe as a catcher and 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 you know because he has this amazing cutter was able to become a top-scale reliever um but i've never trusted him in big moments um you know joe kelly may be back at some point in time but i don't trust him in big moments another one of their relievers Corey niebel if Corey niebel comes back he walks the world the guy succeeds against batters who like aren't successful at making contact, you know, guys who just, you know, strike out a lot, but not the guys who are necessarily aggressive, but the guys who are like patient, work the count, swing and miss. Like they swing and miss not because, you know, they're trying to put themselves on plane with the ball and they can't do it. They're swing and miss because they're trying to work to a mistake pitch. That's why this guy walks so many pit people, because they're trying to work to a mistake pitch, knowing that he misses the zone. So Nable's not exactly against the best arms or, or, or bats super effective with his approach. If he was more of a weak contact guy, or he had a lower strikeout rate with his or lower walk rate with his elevated strikeout rate, I'd feel differently, but with an elevated walk rate with not the best contact management and with the strikeouts being basically his only way of getting by best hitters don't really cave in like that. Um, you know, you go across their roster but Trannan could be very good, but he's having a rough start to the year and I've seen him have consistency issues. He's got a, re- he's got really good movement on one of his pitches. I don't know if he's got as n- enough control to throw it as regularly for strikes as he needs to. It just moves so much. Once he gets control of that, he's basically untouchable, but you know, he's already like in his thirties. So, you know, when's it going to happen? You know um, he's got great break on it. Great, great speed, but you know, Okay. You know, I need to see it for more than just one season, two years ago, three years ago. Um, is beautiful. I love him in the bullpen for them. Uh, I think that's probably going to be their main weapon to get guys out. Um, But Gratterall also has an injury history. So I worry about him either being tired from overuse during the season by the playoffs or just hurt, you know. Um, But he's always been like a job at Chamberlain 2.0 in my eyes. I think you keep him in the bullpen. You you use him like very sparingly to start off with. Maybe a little bit more as the season goes on. Not very much in the last month, just to keep him hot. And then the last three games of the season, you use him one inning each game, just so he's you know has feel. You know, uh, that's probably the best way to manage him. But I don't, I, I I don't trust Dave Roberts to do that. Just to be honest, like Dave Roberts is very much. Like, he's not, he's not like worst manager in the game or anything like that. He, he's definitely decent, but I don't know yet if I would file him in my like my clearly above-average manager category. Like, right now, he's just a manager. Um, you know, I think, honestly, if I'm being real, he might do better as a bench coach or a third-base coach. Third-base coaches influence the base running a lot. More bench coaches influence, like, the team thought process and the team energy a lot more, and I think that he, he could really be great for either of those roles. Um, I think they just wanted a, a figurehead, though, to be honest, someone who you know didn't have as much managerial experience who the analytics could tell to do different things. Problem is, is that if you tell a manager to do different things and the players make the adjustments, knowing that the manager's told to have the players execute different things, then you might have a player who's inferior just with a better process succeed against a player who's superior. And that will happen when you have a manager and that type of situation happens routinely for the Yankees. And I've seen it happen routinely for the Dodgers as well. A couple of other teams it happens for. Now, here's the deal. Dave Roberts has been in baseball and coaching for quite some time. And Aaron Boone has not really done this for very long. So I very much see a situation where Aaron Boone can get a lot better in a very short amount of time. The Yankees should be fine, you know, once – You know, he's in like, say his his fourth year or something like that. Um, And he's also very smart. It's very clear that he knows what he's talking about with ball, but he needs managerial experience. Um, And I think that that's kind of something where you can sometimes get a, 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 someone who's a bench coach who thinks really good, right. who has got a great thought process and who has got energy and you can think like, this is a great managerial candidate. And it can be for short, short, short amounts of time. But what I find is that when you have a manager with that much energy, it can exhaust the club. And um, I, I saw it happen with Ron Washington. I mean, I always thought that Ron Washington would have made a much better just third-base coach. He was a third-base coach for a bit. and Just leave him there, you know? is he? I mean, he might be back in the game as a third-base coach. So he might still be doing it now. You know, he might have gone from being – a, a, a manager to that right now, actually. I think he might still be doing that. But um, I think that's that's the path that Dave Roberts is on, that, you know, if, if you, you take Dave Roberts in a couple of years, he'll be a third-base coach. A really good one, but a third-base coach. Um, Victor Gonzalez is very interesting for the Dodgers. He gets lots of ground balls, but, you know, the strikeouts have kind of gone away. Um, he's worth monitoring, though, just because when you have a reliever who gets that many ground balls, that's cool. That, that really helps out. Um, and then outside of that, you know, they have Walker Bueller, total ACE, big game ACE. Um, and he's the guy that that'll really help them get a victory in the playoffs. Big game ACE. Big game ACE. Yeah. He, he's, he, he can, he can handle any caliber of hitter. Um, but that's it. So I, I, I see lots of issues with the way that they did their rotation. And if I'm being completely fair, like, if they had just like kept Kenta Maeda, if they kept Ross Stripling and moved them between rotation and bullpen, if they had, you know, decided to keep um, Hanjin Ru, really helped them. My goodness. He would really help them. If they like there, they had many opportunities to hang on to talented players. And instead now we have a rotation with Bauer who pitches the scouting reports, which is not going to help them in, in the, in, you know, in the world series or in the, playoffs against elite teams and they have Kershaw blows up in those situations for similar reasons um and you have Price who like I if like I'm a Yankee fan and if I like I remember a lot okay the Yankees facing the Rays the Yankees facing the Red Sox the Yankees facing Detroit and anytime I'd go to the game and we were facing any of those teams, and I found out that David Price was pitching, I'd basically do a dance because I knew it was five runs before the first two innings were over, okay? That's David Price against good teams, okay? So if, if, if you're a Dodgers fan and you hear that and that doesn't concern you, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, <laughs> uh, and then of course, like, you know, Dustin May, he's a fastball only pitcher. It's a cut fastball, so he'll probably be a really good reliever, but he's not a starter. Once like once he tires out, people learn that they just got to get the bat head out front with him so the ball doesn't cut on them and they, you know, they're not hitting it, you know, once it's cut and it's in the other batter's box. Um, They're going to once they time him up, it's it's over. There's no differential. There's nothing else that he's using. Um, He's not getting enough swings and misses either. Um, It's just when he does get a swing and miss, it's pretty. It looks pretty because of the movement and speed on his pitch. Um, but also, he doesn't have much. Like he's really wiry to the point where I worry about his ligaments. I worry about how much stress he's putting on his ligaments because there's not enough muscle to hold things together at the velocities that he's throwing. I was
1: like, where is he going? But th- that makes it, sense. That makes yeah.
0: Sense. And, and as a guy with his size, I don't think, you know, without being built up in the minors that he's going to be able to be successful in the majors over a full year and into the playoffs as a starter, as a starter Mm -hmm. in the bullpen. He'd be great. Unbelievable. One of the best relievers in the sport, hater level, Josh Hader level. Um, So yeah, you're really good reliever, but I don't think he's a starter. Same thing with Gonsolin. I think he would be a really good reliever, not a starter. So um, I guess where I'm coming from here is that if this team wants to win the world series, like you got to take Kershaw out in like the third inning, you got to take David Price out, like, after the first sign of trouble. you got to, like, or or if you're using Urias in the rotation, you know, take him out in the third inning so you're not tiring him out or something. Like, you got to really bullpen heavy. And it looks like you might have enough to do that, but just. So that's how I feel about the Dodgers pitching. A lot of people talk about, like, the Dodgers pitching, like, it's some godsend, like, it's better than it's ever been. It's actually worse than it's been in a while. Especially in big games, so that's my critique of them there during the regular season. They will have no problems though. You face enough average players, slightly above average players, players who stick to their scouting report in all situations, players who are not fully developed with a full process of getting to a point of you know swinging at everything to getting to a point of swinging at strikes. You know, guys who have gone from step A to 100, zero to 100 without learning any of the the in-between, you know, guys who are just gym rats who swing at strikes, you know. You face enough of those guys these days during the regular season that you can do really well. I mean, people have talked about it. I forget who said it recently that, like, the big leagues, big league front offices, they prioritize, like, velocity over control and command. Like, and I, and I get it, you know, the end numbers, strikeouts are, you know, that's that's what analytics likes, but the analytics doesn't understand That the step beyond strikeouts is being able to lower your strikeouts, but go more innings by throwing less pitches and getting, you know, outs on grounders because that's less than three pitches. Three pitches is a strikeout minimum. You know, most strikeouts take like five pitches. If you can get an out on two pitches, you're going to make it a lot deeper into your games. Analytics doesn't really look at things that way. You know Um, now we learned the other day that front offices in large part, large part, look at the same numbers that we do. They just have, be bigger and deeper databases and easier ways of sorting the data than what we have working for us. So, you know, if you look at what most analytics say right now is if a guy has high strikeouts, I love him. Fantasy baseball rewards high strikeouts uh, if you're you're a pitcher and you're getting them, right? But in real life, what's a lot more valuable is a guy who's able to get weak contact, throwing the ball right into the zone. That's where the batter wants the ball. If you're able to throw it in the zone, you're still getting what you want. You're unbeatable. And, you know, eventually it turns into, you know, I'm getting weak contact and I'm throwing in the zone too. Oh, I'm getting hard contact and I'm throwing in the zone. Maybe I got to figure something else out. But that's the final development piece where you are so successful that you're not walking people, you're striking out the world, but you want to go deeper into games and you know your stuff you can be thrown in the zone or you're smart enough that you can differentiate in the zone or you'll get that weak contact. So, you know, having these, these preferences to guys who get strikeouts, that's only when you're part of the way there, you're not at the end part of the process. And I find players that get their success from speed differential rather than control and command and putting your pitches where you want are a lot less successful against the higher levels of competition Especially opposite handedness, which is why Clayton Kershaw does so great in the regular season. But in the playoffs, he doesn't do so well because everything is about how how you know his curveball's 10 miles an hour off this pitch, which is 10 miles an hour off this pitch. I believe it's like change up, fastball, and curveball are all 10 miles an hour off of each other. So it's hard to time him. But if you're in the playoffs, right, and you're slowing everything down. And you're a righty hitter on his lefty slow breaking pitches into the zone. You're timing it better. What do you think happens? So it's routinely why he blows up. It's also routinely why Bauer blows up. Like I've seen Bauer start off games where he goes like the first, like six innings and striking out like 12 batters and like, you know, allowing like no runs. And then like within the next inning, he's allowed two home runs and like four runs to score. He's like throwing his glove and whatnot and, you know, flipping out and whatnot and i'm like my dude that's because people have now seen you three times you're pitching to their scouting report they're adjusting you aren't why do you think that always happens like i'd love to talk to bauer i I could help him so much because he he has everything he has the skills he just needs to understand when a hitter changes their approach what that looks like for each hitter i have that data he doesn't um be a great conversation i can have it would be absolutely fantastic conversation i can have so uh that's the that's the dodgers uh pitching staff that's their entire pitching staff um with regards to their position players will smith is very much well the getting jiggy with it no 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 (laughs) um the catcher will smith uh not to be confused with our fresh prince or uh not to be confused with um, uh, the 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 reliever Will Smith, who's also a pretty pretty good player, the catcher Will Smith. I I like his I like his intelligence. Okay, he's a guy who clearly because he knows how people get pitched, and he knows how he gets pitched. He realizes okay, well, first pitch fastball is usually how they go against you know, patient hitters like me. Mm-hmm. So what Will Smith does is he has a very high rate of swinging hard, aggressive, great swings on first pitch fastballs. And he gets a lot of homers on those or has so far till I think, I think p- pitchers are going to start adjusting to this. They're going to start throwing him first pitch, breaking balls and things like that. So, but after the first pitch, if he fouls it off or if it swings through it or something, he goes from this aggressive approach to more of a patient approach where he's willing to work the count, not swing at balls, foul pitches off to get to more hittable pitches. And that's how he gets to power later into counts. So he has his early count power from being aggressive on the first pitch. He's got his late count power from fouling pitches off and he walks. Okay. As pitchers learn that he's going to be that aggressive on the first pitch, they're going to get ahead of him. And I think the strikeout rate is going to go up and the walk rate is going to go down and the power is going to go down too. That being said, we're still looking at like a guy who's going to be like 20% above league average, 25% above league average after the adjustments come against him. And he's about an average catcher. Some people have a bit more issues with him defensively. I'm going to have to watch a little bit more before I say that. I haven't personally seen him be too much of an issue, but I've heard enough that I should watch. Um, Behind him, they got Kiebert Ruiz, who top prospect, but very much a, very much a polished player, not necessarily a toolsy player, not necessarily ridiculously, um, you know, ripped in shape, all of those types of things. Right. But he makes so much contact and he plays catcher that they're thinking that they can parlay some of the contact into maybe higher levels of power, give away some of the contact to hit the ball harder. Um, you know, he's been viewed as one of the top prospects in the sport for a very long time. I haven't been the biggest fan. I just very much view him as, um, Kurt Suzuki, possibly without the level of intelligence. Well, I don't say possibly Kurt Suzuki has been in the league for like 10 years, 12 years. So definitely without the levels of intelligence that Kurt Suzuki has, but I'm not saying it because I think Kurt Kiebert Ruiz is dumb. I'm saying it because of experience and the fact that Kiebert Ruiz has mainly had to focus on offense, keeping it up through the minor leagues. Um, so they have him behind Will Smith. They have Austin Barnes behind Will Smith, who walks a lot but has no power. Um, so they, you know, that's, that's their catcher situation. It's not the greatest situation. It's also because Will Smith is the type of hitter that he is, patient bat. You know, I think that that's going to cost them versus higher levels of pitching, specifically in the second half, because by the second half of the season, Will Smith will be officially into the period of time where pitchers have adjusted. Like usually you you, you get about a full season's worth of data on a player before you adjust to them. People call it a sophomore slump, but usually it's a seasons of data adjustment slump Um, because that happens. Like I've seen sophomore slumps that begin halfway through a year. So I think that we'll, we'll see something like that as the season goes on and pitchers know how to pitch him better, that the numbers will fall off. And he won't have accounted for it probably until sometime in 2022 maybe in the first half, if at all, because it's a very hard thing to adjust back to because he's not exactly a guy who's basing things off of a contact and aggressive standpoint. He's basing it off of having an approach that allows you to maximize on what you're being given. And they're going to be giving him less. They're going to be pitching him harder. So we'll see how that ends up working in the second half for them. Um, Justin Turner is one of my favorite players in the sport. He's been unbelievably successful and consistent at third base um but truth be told he is getting older and you know while he has had above average isos and above average bsrs on season to season basis he hasn't really walked or hasn't really struck out a lot has walked a lot um so very across the board profile it is worth noting that his isos are almost always right around like 210 which is not too far above 200. It's nice to have an ISO in that range when you're not striking or yet, yeah, when you're not striking out, when you're walking a lot, when you're hitting for in-play power, when you're doing all of that, it, you don't need to hit for tons of out-of-play power. You can hit for enough out-of-play power. Mm-hmm. And um, with the level of contact that he was making, that was more than enough. That was like 30 homer power for that level of contact. Um, but when you start to see a player get older and the power starts to fade, um, Having an ISO that's that close to 200, 200 is a good number. Even you know 190 is a good number, but you need a lot of you need some other things working for you in order for that to 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 be a good number, um, to weigh it out, you know. Um, And for a guy who's been you know so consistently a power hitter, any sort of drop from him is going to take him from a middle of the order guy to either a guy that you're going to use in the two hole or a guy that you're probably going to use in six hole. Um, which is back of the middle of the order. So um, whereas if you had like Donaldson drop off, okay, say Donaldson dropped off and, you know, the walks went down, and the strikeouts went up and, you know, some of his ISO went down. Well, he's still probably putting up an ISO above like 220, 230, you know? Um, and that's where I see the difference because Donaldson has this out of play power level that Turner was just never able to get to. Like, Compare the players. They're very similar. They have a very similar ageing. But um, I've always thought of Donaldson as the more powerful one. And Turner is the one with more hit tool. And I think that at this stage of their career, um, that will allow Donaldson to keep being the same guy roughly. And I think that that's actually going to hurt Turner. Now, if Turner had eight other guys that were better than him or seven other guys that were better than him, you could use lineup protection because he has the hit tool to turn back the years and make him the same guy for years on end. But he's one of the best hitters in their lineup. They're using him right in the middle of their lineup. If You're putting him seventh or something like that. um, Maybe he'd be the same guy. I think, yeah, he would be. Um, And I think, you know, it's possible that he is the same guy that he was last year. But I do think that we are starting to see, you know, he's going to have to do certain things physically to keep up. Um, so I, I'm not going to say like, this is his bad year. No, he'll be fine this year. I think, but I think that you might start to see tendencies that will show whether he's going to fall off in subsequent years. I think this is the year where you'll start to see when you can expect him in the future to fall off by the end of the year. We'll have the numbers for that. Um, you can quote me on that too. So, um, Corey Seager, one of the best left-handed hitters in all of baseball is on their team. He'll be a free agent at the end of the year. I am absolutely sure that he's going to go bonkers this year just so he can get a nice big contract, nice big juicy deal. Uh, Some people are saying, oh, the Yankees are going to try and get him. Do you realize like the Dodgers don't really have like a shortstop or anything close to – like you think the Dodgers are going to actually let Seager go? No. Like the Yankees or any team would be stupid to even – the Dodgers on Seager because the levels of money that 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 those talks would reach not appropriate not okay um and I understand you know the Yankees have money but like yo you guys got Stanton get Stanton off the books before you even think about this you know you're going to handcuff yourself again like you did 10 years ago and then you had to wait what eight years for that to go away or whatever I mean, it wasn't 10 years ago, but, like, you know what I mean. In, like, the early 2000s, they completely handcuffed themselves, and they had to wait, like, five, eight years until everything expired, and then they were able to operate again. Like, it would be a total shame for the Yankees to waste all of what they have now working for them just so that they could get a couple big-name guys like Stanton and Seager. That's ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, Seager's, you know, if you look at last year, Seager's expected batting average – Expected slugging. Like he was just one of the best hitters in the big leagues with like expected outcomes. So I'm just a huge Seeger fan. I, I think he's going to go off this year. Um, Muncie has declined every year since he's been in the league. And, you know, the first time he was really successful was he was very polished. The league didn't know him. And he also was coming into the league with the juice ball. So I think he's been able to kind of parlay that added to an approach change midway through into a couple of years at the big league level. I think that this year we can start to see really big concerns about him as a regular versus righties and lefties. I think he'll have to be put in a platoon shortly. Um, And if he doesn't pick it up from there, I think you're looking at, like, a very talented super utility player. But, um, you know, you'll find me on other podcasts from a few years ago saying, like, I hate Muncie. It's not like – like, I'll, I'll be real with you guys. Like, I love his attitude, okay? I love his swag. I love, like, you know, go get the ball out of the water, that whole thing with Mad Bum, where he hits that home run off of Mad Bum and, like, pimps it out. Mad Bum gets mad at him. and He says, well, then go get the ball out of the water. You know, like <laughs> that's, that's my, my type of ball player, you know, he um, does what he's got to do to win. And I've only seen him do like, I got mad at him for doing like this one thing that was fairly Bush league, but I've only seen him do it, do that thing once. And it wasn't a, it was in a really big moment. And it was like, you know, in a playoff level type situation. And like, it wasn't even like super Bush league. It was just like, you know, how you are going to not try and sell that? You know what I mean? So, um, I, I think the reason why I actually go harder on Muncie is that he actually came out of nowhere, and then you know when he did, and I was like, oh, this guy's not really for real. You know, add add the juiced ball to him coming out of nowhere. He made an approach change and was able to draw out this coming out of nowhere into subsequent seasons. So he's made me look stupid okay <laughs> uh he's, he's made me like when i said he's not for real and then he's drawn it out over a few years everybody's like oh but you said he wasn't for real well like i said he drew it out over a few years the first year was with the juice ball second year he didn't approach change the third year he was being platooned more and his numbers still fell off now we're into the fourth year that's this year so you know, so I may be right, but it didn't show up exactly entirely in the results in, in the world we live. And that's all that people care about. So his, his, his real life skills may not really be there, but whatever. Uh, point is, is that at this point in his career, even if he gets put in a platoon, I think you're looking at a, f- a pretty valuable player, but only in a platoon, only with lineup protection, only away from the middle of the order. Um, I think he could work probably with Sheldon Noose. um. But I, I, I'm i not a fan of, you know, BD is a pretty swing, but I'm not a fan of BD unless you're playing him every day. He's not going to get played every day. I think Gavin Lux is probably the most overrated player from his prospect class. Um, and I think the only reason why we're talking about him big now is that he's just remained in the minor leagues long enough to put up some pretty good, good numbers at higher levels. He is a prospect, but he's not a great prospect. He's not an elite tools guy. And then, of course, if you look at the years where you put up the, the high numbers, the big numbers and the high levels of the minors, uh, that was when the juice ball came to AAA as well. So I, I just I don't really I'm not really that much of a believer in Gavin Lux. Um, I've heard people say that he has a little bit of a, a, a minor version of Chuck Knobloch syndrome. He has trouble making the throw to first, which means he's probably a left fielder. If he's not much of a hitter, you know, I mean I will not say he's not much of a hitter. He's still going to be a hitter. There's no doubt that this guy's going to hit. But he's I I don't think he's a 40% above league average guy. I think you're looking at once he adjusts 20% above league average. And as a left fielder, you know, given what he was expected to be, you know, it's gonna be a big disappointment. Um, but they do have Cody Bellinger if he ever comes back from his leg fracture, which happened. So that's 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 an impactful injury. But they have him. I do think he'll be back sometime. In the second half or in the second half mm-hmm. um so if not like sometime in the second half when the second half begins um I, there's just not much of a timetable on him right now because of the type of injury that it is i just i'd be shocked if he was out past august you know that, that, that really shocked me um so you're still looking at you know being able to rely upon him in the playoffs you're still looking at him being able to get enough at bats in the regular season where he should be heated up by the playoffs just don't expect him to give you tons during the regular season. Um, you got Mookie Betts, who's one of the five best players in the sport. Um, I mean, he, he can run. He can catch. He can throw. He, he can hit. He can hit for power. He can run the bases. He can walk. Uh, I mean, my guy even professionally bowls during the offseason. He can roll strikes. So <laughs> what, what can Mookie Betts not do, you know? Um, he's a safe bet. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Chris, you can shoot me now. Like... Um, <laughs> we're on our last two players. Just bear with me, okay? We're, we're at the end. We're <laughs> goodness. All right. So, uh, and then lastly, uh, AJ Pollock, who had a big year last year, but I'm not really expecting too much more than like a league average bat plus base running um, ability to hit lefties. And you have Chris Taylor, who's like basically their super utility guy. He's on my fantasy baseball team. I like the ability of, you know, playing. Second, short, outfield. I'm pretty sure you could even put him at third if you wanted to. Um, Not many players can play those positions, can run the bases like like he can run the bases uh, because he's first to third guy, but he can also steal um, and also can hit for the levels of in play and out of play power that he can hit for, which is surprising and can also walk to the levels that he can walk. Like he he, kind of gives you a little bit of everything, actually. You can put down a good bunt he makes decent contact. He's got a pretty decent swing. Um, and he plays everywhere. Yeah, you know, I think, I think Chris Taylor might be, like, one of the five most underrated guys in the game, come to think of it. Because I don't even think of Chris Taylor like this. But, like, what can he not do? You know? Like, you know, that, that, that meme with the, the taxidermied, like, little white monkey. <laughs> and that's the Dodgers. So uh, I do think that this is a team that during the regular season will absolutely crush um, their only competition with the Padres. And um, yeah, and I think that does it for our divisional breakdowns. Next time we're going to be coming at you with power rankings. We actually got, we got a live stream coming up. Don't we?
1: Uh, we do this Thursday. Surprise, surprise. We have decided that moving forward, and this is so everyone knows you keep track of it. Moving forward, we're going to have one podcast episode we record on Mondays. Episode comes out around Wednesday morning, sometimes even earlier, Tuesday morning, depends on how much we have to edit. And then we're going to have our live streams on Thursdays. And if you happen to miss it, obviously it's going to be recorded on YouTube. Or also, what I'll be doing moving forward is depending on what we talk about, I'll just be converting that video into an audio file and just uploading it to the podcast. So there's still two audio podcast productions happening throughout the week. There's just that extra live stream.
0: Yeah. And I think I'm um, thinking about adding something to the newsletter. I don't know mm-hmm. if, if you're on board with it, but we're definitely going to discuss this. I think I'll bring it up here is I was thinking about weekly with the newsletter, throwing, you know, the top 10 of a singular position onto it. Hmm. And then, you know, next week we do second base and next week we do left fielder. Maybe it doesn't have to be top 10, just the top ranking of each position Mm -hmm. because instead of um, just having it in one place, that'd be a little bit easier way of, um, slowly releasing it to you guys and, and getting it out there. Cause I am going to have I it like in one that. place. Like don't I get like me that. wrong in the next week or so uh, it's probably going to be about the next week? Um, I am going to have the full list behind a paywall on saber But uh, I do think that we should tease some of it week by week to you guys. And if you guys really care that much, where like, you're going to stick by our newsletter so that like you have the full list and you don't have to pay for it, even though it's only going to be like five bucks to access mm-hmm. it then okay, cool. I I guess you'll get the full list that way, but um, I mean, that's if you want to wait, you know, I mean it's weeks in, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks I mean, think about how many positions there are and then you add on pitchers, relief pitchers, um, and then of course starting pitchers has to be broken down into left-handed starting pitchers, Mm -hmm. right-handed starting pitchers, um, left field, right field, center field, super utility, uh, DH, you know, the whole infield, like It's going to be a lot of weeks. So if you just want the whole list in general, you know, we'll have it on Saber Scouts. But, um, you know, yeah, I think that we 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 can we can show you guys little little bits, give you Mm -hmm. guys a little bit of a tease on our our weekly newsletter. I think that's something we can do for you. I think that would. I have I have the list right here. I mean, I'm looking at it. So I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not like it needs any sort of editing for us to do that with. So, I think it'd be better.
1: I think that would be cool for people to look forward to.
0: Yeah, me too. All right. Well, that's it from me.
1: That's that's it from me too. Stay tuned for this Thursday.
0: We'll see you on the next one.
1: And we'll see you on the next one. Later.